It's News Talk ZB. This is Politics Central. Tim Rongs with you. No Bevo today as he is skiing. I'm a hopeless skier, but Bevo is uh, is a demon on the slopes. So check out the family photos. Um, in fact, I don't think they're public. I'm, go- I'm going to, if he sent one to me, does that mean I can post it on the Weekend Collective Facebook page? I'm going to say, I better check because I think the family are there. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, at some point we'll have amazing photos of Bevo in the snow. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, just me doing Politics Central. We will go to the phone soon. But let's bring in a political correspondent who we regularly use on the Weekend Collective, former leader of United Future, Peter Dunn, joins us now. G'day, Peter. Yeah, Tim, how are you? I am good. What do you like on the slopes? Uh, no good at all. But my, my, my brother's a gun skier, but I've, I've never really taken to it. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm hand-eye, I'm not foot-eye. Bevo, yeah. foot-eye, the hands, I'm not so certain. Uh, let's talk politics. So National have launched a billboard campaign, uh, which is, and this is the line they're using, to, quote, demand the debate mm. for all New Zealanders. Uh, and they're starting with Hipuapua. What do you think of this? Well, I think the campaign's a good idea. I think that, that this is something they can get some traction about. How they go about it is going to be quite a challenge. But I do think there's quite a rich vein to tap into. I was at a debate on Friday night, for instance, about free speech. And there's a real concern that the hate speech proposals uh, go way beyond dealing with hate speech and really start to get it, not what you uh, say, but even what you think. And that sort of getting a lot of people quite upset. So I think there's fertile ground there for National, but they've got to be careful as they as they till that ground that it doesn't become um, tinged with things like, you know, the race debate or other things that make it look like it's really a form of um, a sort of naked populism. I think that there's an opportunity for them to make some inroads on an issue that people are feeling concerned about, but they've got to handle it pretty carefully. Yeah, because this can very, very easily tilt into, a, a, I would believe, a sort of a dangerous kind of populism, where, where, yeah, ma- where National are, yeah. are not very interested in people knowing, for example, that you are the public is being asked to put their input into the hate speech proposals, that these aren't laws already, that they are proposals for which you can have your say. Yeah, and I think that while there's a lot of concern at the moment about what the nature of the proposals might be, I suspect very strongly that there are issues there that the government hasn't quite got its head around yet and will modify substantially as as we go along the way. But that's a great opportunity for the opposition to be out there with a campaign, seen to be leading the debate, forcing the change. But again, how they play it is going to be critical. And I must say the one thing that gives me some doubt is that the way that national... Uh, climbed into Haipuapua, for instance, was pure, uh, I think, populist racism rather than an an essence of the issue, which was what are we committed to? What does this mean? What are the implications for the future of our society? It was purely um, the sort of the the cheap shot that we're handing over everything to Maori. So so when it comes to uh, this idea that National are are stoking that um, that Labour didn't campaign on this and so therefore this is uh, somewhat undemocratic... uh, your experience in politics, like how much, how much does a party have to have said what they're going to do in the build-up to an election versus <laughs> well, what they yeah. can do and, and not kind of seem dodgy about it once they're in power? Yeah, I think the problem that the Labour Party has here is that the Prime Minister said before the election it was going to be a referendum on COVID. Uh, she got an astounding result as a consequence. And uh, now, um, and the government that, that in its first three years had been rather inactive to now suddenly unleash a whole lot of stuff 
on the grounds that they got a mandate at the election, I think is a bit dubious. But they're not the first government to do that. They're not the last. And every government that I've ever known or been part of has always said at some point, oh, but you voted for us. You know, this was our policy at election time. We may not have said it publicly. We may not have said it loudly. But if you look carefully, it was our policy and uh, you voted for us. So I think there's a little bit of um, uh, the government game playing here, but they're no different from any other government in that respect. The opposition equally, I think, can get on its righteous high horse. But again, uh, in government, they just did just the same thing. Uh, Peter Dunn joining us at the moment. What did you make of both political polls which came out? Roy Morgan, which was not so good for Labour, and that had Labour dropping from the mid-40s into the high 30s, um, but National still in the 20s. The UMR poll, which was leaked, which had Labour at 48 and National at 24, uh, albeit everyone was really talking about David Seymour being ahead of Judith Collins in the preferred Prime Minister stakes. What was your reaction? Yeah. Roy Morgan's always been a bit of an outlier, and sometimes it's ahead of the trend and sometimes it's just off-centre completely. Uh, but I think the interesting thing about both polls was both were good news for ACT. In the Roy Morgan poll, ACT was the one that was gaining, not national, at, at Labour's expense. In the, in the UMR poll, it was David Seymour gaining at Judith Collins' expense. So two good polls for ACT. Uh, the government, I don't think, will be losing too much sleep. It's still in both polls in a position where it will be able to form a government fairly comfortably. But the gap is narrowing, and that shouldn't be a great surprise. The last election result in terms of the, the, the gap between the parties was an aberration. That inevitably will correct over time, but, but Labor's still in a very healthy position. I put it to Judith Collins whether National is internally uh, in a bit of trouble because strategically they'll have the conservative wing of the party saying our problem is that we're too centrist. We've got to be more conservative. Mm. Um, while you could argue, and I would argue, that when you lose people like Nikki Kaye and Amy Adams, then you're losing your, your liberal wing and the cliche about elections being won and lost in the centre, um, it, it's National somehow actually has to appeal to the centre. Yeah, and this is look, National's historic problem. Because when the National Party was formed 80-odd years ago, it was a coalition of provincial conservatives and urban liberals. And they've managed to maintain a, a rather tricky balance for all of those years. What seems to have happened at the last election was the urban liberals either lost out or just shifted to Labour. And now the party's not, gone, not too sure whether it's a provincial conservative party, which would narrow its base considerably, or whether it's still trying to regroup that coalition that it's had historically, or whether it should be something else. Uh, and all of this at a time when you've got a government that's dominant, you've got uh, COVID-19, an issue that the country is pretty much united behind the government on. It's very difficult for the opposition, even in those circumstances, if all was going well. You add in the internal difficulties, the doubts over leadership, the, the issues with people like Todd Muller and uh, one or two others and the, the candidate selections, the whole thing just becomes a sort of an impossible mess, really. How big do you see ACT getting? I think it could grow a little bit, yet I don't think it's going to become a majority party by any stretch. Uh, I don't think it'll be a lead party of government in the future, for instance. It could become a party of about 15%. Uh, but again, I think that's because ACT appeals to a particular type of voter. And, then, and if they can mop up most of those, then that will give them about 15% of the electorate. Uh, they've done very well, I think, in the last few months. Uh, they haven't had any of their MPs go rogue. They, they've been disciplined and tight. And I think David Seymour has matured into the job extremely well. The challenge now is how they build a relationship with National, because National knows that act gains are occurring at its expense. And at some point, it's going to have to make the call. Does it continue to sort of 
try and play a twosome with them or does it go out to get them? Because ultimately, ACT might get it. It, it used to be that simplistically that ACT was to the right of national. Mm. And, and I say simplistically because in some ways, that in part because of David Seymour's youth, um, that you could argue that ACT is more socially liberal but more fiscally conservative than national. But then you've got things like, like where ACT stand on guns, which seems a little bit more Fox Newsy to me. And so, so quite where they fit, I'm not sure. Yeah, like I think ACT is a right-wing libertarian party. And, and um, that comes in various shades. Uh, but the thing about ACT that differs it from national is that it's got a clearly defined philosophy and ideology, and it's unashamed to go out there and promote it. And then David Seymour has got a slightly quirky leader who is appealing to the public because he's just being himself. He's not trying to be anyone else. He's being David Seymour. Uh, national, on the other hand, has got, as I was just before, this incredible identity problem about what sort of a party it is. For Labour at the moment, it doesn't matter. They've got all of the majority in Parliament. They've got things going their way. They don't even need to think about what sort of a party they are or or what the the factions within the party might be because they're winning. And so long as they're in that position, well and good for them, hard for National. It will reverse in time, of course, as we've seen before. Remember, five years ago, Labour was in the parlous situation National is now. So these things come around in cycles. Um, At the moment, I think National is just going to have to tough this one out. There are two opinion columns today printed in the Herald by colleagues of mine, one by Heather Duplessy allen one by Kerry McIver, and mm. they're both saying that, that it's bad um, that New Zealand doesn't have an articulated plan out of COVID or even an articulated plan of how to live with more freedoms with COVID. Do you see that as an issue at, at this point in time? It's going to become an issue. I think it's increasingly going to become an issue. Whether it is just at the moment, I think, is a wee bit premature, but certainly with moves being made in Britain and Singapore and even Australia, even though they've got a pretty disastrous situation at the moment, I think people are going to start asking the questions here. And I think the government saying, as it is, that it's not time to consider it yet or we're not ready to do that yet, is going to become an increasingly difficult line to hold if and as things are seen to improve around the west of the world. And the challenge for New Zealand then is how we get back, if you like, on the same horse as everyone else, because... At the moment, we're pretty much isolated. I've seen several references in the last week to New Zealand as the hermit kingdom. Well, fine for the time being, and people quite like that, according to opinion polls. But I don't think that will last as others start to show a degree of normality. And uh, if things do start to settle down uh, in Britain and Singapore and Australia and elsewhere over the next few months, then I think the pressure on New Zealand to follow suit and at least have a plan or at least be open to working with countries that are more open, uh, is going to become much greater. All right. Well, thank you, as always, for your time. That's Peter Dunn, former United Future leader, political correspondent here on The Weekend Collective. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.